Welcome to the Shine Within Podcast. I'm your host, Gina Kunarian, and I am so grateful that you are here. I'm a wife, mother of three boys, certified massage therapist, and an alcohol-free sobriety coach who helps driven women break through their alcohol dependency without the traditional 12-step program. Each week, I will bring you inspiring guests with focus on mindset, health, and spirituality, providing you the tips and tools to help you create unshakable confidence, clarity, and energy so you can unleash your creative potential and live the life of your dreams alcohol-free. So tune in for some fun, and if you are ready to shine, welcome. Hello, lovely listeners. If you're finding value in what you're hearing today, make sure to head over to the show notes. Not only will you find more details on today's topic, but you'll also get an exclusive invitation to join my free Facebook group, Awakened Souls. This community is perfect for women who are either super curious or currently journeying through recovery. Being part of Awakened Souls offers a supportive environment where you can connect with like-minded women, all working towards an alcohol-free lifestyle. Plus... There are special free gifts waiting inside the show notes, (laughs) curated specifically to empower and assist you on your journey. And if you're loving the content, I'd be so grateful if you take a moment to rate this podcast. Your feedback helps me continue bringing you the conversations and insights you love. Let's keep the momentum going. And remember, you are not alone on this journey. I am here to help you every step of the way. In today's episode, we're joined by the inspiring Tezza Lord, an artist, writer, and self-proclaimed spirit activist. From the challenges of addiction to the reawakening of self-love, Tezza's story serves as a beacon for all seeking a higher path. So settle in, open your heart, and prepare to be moved by a journey that transcends the ordinary. Let's dive in. All right, welcome back to the Shine Within podcast. I have here the lovely Tessa Lord. Tessa Lord's journey, she uncovers the divine in everyday moments, a devoted explorer of consciousness in its myriad forms. Tessa's life and work serve as a canvas, painting tales of her adventurous youth and strokes of mysticism and transformative words. As an artist, Turned writer and an impassioned spiritual speaker, she champions a life filled with balance, fulfillment, and a holistic perspective. Celebrating four decades free from alcohol and drugs, Tezza is also a dedicated yogi and meditator, always eager to share the blissful disciplines of yoga with curious souls. So I want to just welcome you today. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. And it's, I know we just talked earlier and I was like, oh, I just already love our conversation. Let's go ahead and hit record. But (laughs) (laughs) I know that was really good, but hopefully we can bring that back again. And I'm sure we will. But can you just share with us your, the turning point that led you towards sobriety? Oh my God. Well, near death, right? (laughs) what, What person who's enmeshed in addiction is just going to stop? No, they don't stop. They don't wake up one morning and say, oh, today's the day. I think I'll stop. Well, of course, we go through all those days. We promise ourselves. And and then we forget by the second cup of coffee. (laughs) We do. And well, my previous life, I have I have a previous sobriety life and and a post sobriety life. My previous sobriety life, I was I call myself a she pirate. I just really 
wanted to create trouble. <laughs> I, I was addicted to thrills. I mean, that's one of the biggest addictions that all humans have. Thrills, whether they use drugs or alcohol, they, they might jump out of airplanes or they might have dangerous relationships. But mine led me to the Caribbean. And it was uh, the early 70s. And I wanted to just sail and I wanted to have adventures and I wanted to, I wanted to be part of that third world energy. And I stayed there for the whole decade of the 70s, got myself in a lot of really interesting situations, um, one of which was doing inter-island trading with um, fruits and vegetables. I know all about tropical shipping and inter-island trade. And I had a restaurant in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands. And then eventually what happened to me to get sober was everything came crashing down and I found myself in a third world prison. And I wasn't really guilty of anything at that particular point. But yet I had been monkeying around with a bunch of, you know, not very legal stuff. I won't mention it all because those are all things that I write about in my books. And you have to get the books to find out the true story. Yeah. And there I was in prison on the border of Haiti and the Dominican Republic in a really awful town called Barahona. And I went nuts. I said, what am I doing here? I was completely alone, away from any family. There were some friends in the other cell, but they were just as desperate as I was. And Basically, I saw all the wrongs that I had done on my life written up on the walls in invisible ink when I was in this terrible, godforsaken hell pit in the Dominican Republic. And I stayed there because they wouldn't let me out for three months. And three months in a third world jail is equivalent to about 30 years, as far as I'm concerned, in traditional, what we consider civilized countries. I mean, there was no food. They, they served rice with ketchup. So basically, to even live, you had to have a little bit of cash to throw out the window and beg somebody to cook you a meal. They had no mattress. I had to buy a mattress. They had no toilet. They had a hole in the floor. Mm -hmm. And it was hell. And so I survived that. But, you know, as soon as I got out of there, I couldn't wait to get drunk. And that really showed me how low I was, how very low I was. So you'd think that somebody like that would just get out of jail and say, wow, that was an opportunity. Let's, let's start over. Let's do a reset. But no. And so I was so sick by that point because I really picked up a lot of uh, bad infections with that <laughs> hole in the floor that they called a toilet. And uh, by the time I got back to the States, I was very sick and still I didn't stop drinking and uh, I was in a very dark place and some dear friends of mine recorded me in one of my dark places because I was a blackout drinker and you know you know you're an alcoholic if you are a blackout drinker there's no ifs ands or buts a lot of other people who don't go through blackouts they might you know say oh I'm just a social drinker or whatever but if you get into having blackouts believe me you are an alcoholic so in a blackout, my friends recorded me and they invited me for lunch, uh, you know, a couple of days later and played the recording. And I just didn't believe them. I was totally in denial. I said, this is a bad joke. Whoever that person is, 
I wish them luck, but they're really in a bad way. And my two friends kept saying, Tessa, this is you. And I kept saying, no, it's not. And they kept playing it, the dear hearts, thank God they kept playing it. Until finally what happened was those veils that they say cover our consciousness, they parted. And I heard my voice and I'd, I just died. I just died of not so much embarrassment, but I realized how low my life had gone. And it took me three days to really stop crying and stop shaking and stop being totally freaked out. And I dragged myself to a meeting. I did get sober through AA. So for me, I tried everything in years previously and nothing worked for me. So I finally dragged myself and I begged for help and I was given the help I needed. And from then on, my life was just one series of, of incredible coincidences or synchronicities, really, not coincidences, but just being in the right place, the right time, finding the right friends, the right teacher. And I became a meditator and really heavily into the yogic world. I had been, ever since a teenager, a, a yoga person, but never really understanding what it was about. So that was the beginning of my spiritual life in 1984. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I think I was three in 1984. <laughs> I was oh three gosh, years no. old. There's a little baby there. <laughs> but right. that was amazing. You know, I actually experienced um, not prison, but just like a couple of days at jail. And I mean, just comparing from what you experienced to what I experienced is like a luxury is like the four seasons practically then. Oh my goodness. Right. So I couldn't yeah. imagine that, but then having your friends then go ahead and record. And that was like, kind of like the wake up call. Like, okay, this is not me. Who is this person here? My best friend back in, this was 20, 2003 or so. Uh, she was an alcoholic and I was drinking with her, but very little. I was mostly using ecstasy and going to parties and things like that, but she was a blackout drinker. And she would remember anything ever. And and I felt like sometimes she would even, like, it wasn't even her. I felt like someone had possessed her because she was like like a, a monster. And mm -hmm. uh, I remember it was uh, terrifying. But unfortunately, she got, uh, well, fortunately, she got help. But unfortunately, it didn't work because she wound up getting into a car crash. And she unfortunately then passed away. And so that should have been like my wake up call. Like, okay, Gina, you shouldn't even be drinking at all. Here, your, your best friend just passed away. But I, I was continuing drinking and it was very hard for me to, to quit. And I went to AA and I went to the, uh, try to do the 12 steps. It didn't work out for me too much. Uh, it wasn't until I got like a mindset coach that helped me and started to learn more about like spirituality. And she's also a yoga teacher. So I definitely appreciate yoga. It helps the back. <laughs> tremendously oh, yes. <laughs> oh, the yes. mind. Any, anybody who has scoliosis get into yoga that's how I got into it when I was a teenager yes. so because I have a bad back but you know you said the key word the if the spirit is not involved uh, a sobriety work won't take effect because that's the whole basis of sobriety and how do I know this well if anybody knows the history of AA, it goes back to the work before AA, which was started by Jung, Carl Jung, uh, who, who basically was consulted by these two guys who really wanted to get sober back in, you know, whenever it was the early 40s, mm -hmm. who started AA. And Jung, who was um, 
you know, basically he was a break off from Freud. It was early, early days of psychology. He said, there must be a spiritual awakening. There must be. And so these two guys back in the States said, well, how do we do that? And that's how they came up with the 12 steps. So the 12 steps is about a spiritual awakening. And a lot of people, unfortunately, who are in AA don't have good guidance and they don't get to that spiritual awakening. But I was blessed because my original uh, helper, sponsor, whatever you call it, she she was an angel. So she totally guided me. And, and I think that a lot of people who don't really connect with the magic of the 12 steps haven't had good guidance. Mm. You know, it really could be something like that. Because you can have good and bad of everything. There's even, you know, good presidents, bad presidents, right? Yeah. <laughs> good good uh, basketball players and bad basketball players. And the same with spiritual guides. There are some people who are totally in their ego. And all they want to do is control you. Well, those are unfortunate. Uh, they're not really very spiritualized people. They're just control freaks who have found a medium. But, um, you know, when you mentioned ecstasy, when I got sober, ecstasy had just been invented. And I was really into any kind of psychedelic also, all the plant medicines, because my history has a lot to do with ayahuasca, coca, um, and all the plant medicines, mushrooms. And I was a botanical illustrator. So I was working for scientists who were studying the plant medicines through Harvard University. So I had this privilege of working with people who had the scientific point of view that it was an honor to work with the sacred that the indigenous world was giving the civilized world, the so-called civilized world. And that's, you know, it was just such a, a wonderful way to be introduced to the plant medicines. But along comes ecstasy, which of course is MDA plus, I think, acid or something. It's a combination, it's MDMA. And I was familiar with MDA, but the MDMA was a whole different ballgame. So, so I saw everybody taking ecstasy. And at that point, I was really so in love with sobriety that I just felt like it was, and I do today to this very day, feel it's the highest high there is. Mm. There's nothing higher than the way we are in our natural state. And when I learned that, I said, oh, my God, I've been wasting all this time with drugs and alcohol. <laughs> This is the highest. And you're so right. Yes, because I'm I'm I feel like a high every day. <laughs> and it's people, true. It's and true. People ask me, are you been drinking gin? I'm like, no, <laughs> this is how I am naturally. And yeah, it's a there's no you're absolutely right. There's no other other better feeling than just natural sobriety <laughs> well, and natural true, being. Yeah, and true addicts, I mean, we have been to hell. And so when somebody says, oh, do you want to go to heaven or do you, hey, we've already been to hell. So being alive is heaven. You know, we know what hell is like. Addiction is hell. To me, when I first got sober, I looked around and I saw how everybody is into addiction. And it's so common. It's the common denominator. And I just thought that uh, it really was the devil to be an addict, to be like a slave, a victim of your of addiction is being, was waltzing and dancing with the devil. So whenever I think of the choices that I have, because that's the big thing to know that you have a choice. I think of like a devil sitting on one side of my shoulder 
and there's a little angel on the other side and i and i'll say well which do you think i'm going to be activating if i do something or if i hang out with a certain person or if i entertain a certain thought you know or don't do something i mean i i'll talk to this angel and the devil and i'll say do you think i'm going to be going closer to a drink or further away from a drink with practically everything i do i have to make that decision because it's a choice yes my mentor said the same thing we all have a choice it is up to us and yes. it's really, it is really up to us. And, and the stronger we get with practices of like meditation and doing yoga and just connecting with our spirit, the easier the choice is going to make that it's going to be the right choice. <laughs> Otherwise, yes. we get stuck in that rut. At least I've experienced that for myself. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And because, of course, when somebody is so used to having what they call self-will run riot, where my choice is to get as screwed up as I can today and blast off from the planet. Well, that's not the right choice. But when we're in addiction, we sabotage ourselves. That's why we need guides. That's why we need mentors. That's why we need steps. Mm -hmm. However you get help, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm not a hardcore Bible thumping, they they call it the big book thumpers. I, I'm a very eclectic yogi. I'm a very eclectic sober person. But for me, it's very important to have a guide mm-hmm. and to 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 ask a, a sober person to help you is the best way to find the first step toward getting well. Because when you're in the throes of addiction, your will has become tainted. And you think you're just living your life, but you're not. You're just living out the will of this addiction. Mm -hmm. And it wants to kill you. I mean, most people don't realize how addiction is so serious. It really wants you dead. Mm -hmm. And it won't stop until you are dead. Mm -hmm. When you're grappling with that, with that, uh, that kind of a terrible wrestle. Yes, because I remember I've I've had I should have been dead a hundred times. I feel like because mm. and then there were some close mm. close calls as well, but somehow some way like that wasn't my time to go. And I have a mission. Right. And speaking about mission, um, let's talk about your mission of elevating consciousness and spreading right. positivity. How do you think yes. your personal journey and in, actually informed and shaped this mission? Well, I think the whole entire human race is going through what we addicts have gone through who are sober. And and we came to the realization that we we're on the wrong track. I see all of humanity being addicted to thrills and materialism and more, 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 whatever it is, whether it's control or sex or money, it's more. That's the material world. And so once you have turned your back on that and embraced sobriety, and I'm talking about emotional sobriety, not just not picking up a drink or a drug, because a lot of people do that and they're like freaked out. They're like, you know, they're they're the white knucklers. They're like holding on. Like, you know, some people fantasize about getting drunk. Like I've heard people 30 years after getting sober saying, man, I just think about it all the time. Like, hello. Where is your spirit? So that's not the kind of sobriety I'm talking about. That's um, that's just um, not drinking, but that's not really spiritual and emotional sobriety. 
But once you have embraced a spiritual life by doing what you have to do, which is to get rid of the demons, however your coach or your mentor or the group or whatever you're working with tells you, you have to, to get rid of this junk that's inside of you. It's like little, little demons that are ruling your, your life. And, and they're just not you. They're false. They're false demons. And in most cases, they're either your parents or your cultures or your churches or your temples or whatever culture you came up in telling you you're a bad person, blah, blah, blah. Or sometimes you just come in to this reincarnation with these things attached to your soul. Whatever, whatever way, if you want to be happy, you have to eradicate them. So that's the very first thing. And my job as a spirit activist is to show people by by sharing my story. And I do that in my first three books, my first nonfiction books about the beautiful like energy that you get into when you have dedicated yourself to this higher, this higher choice than the lower choice, which is dancing with the demons mm -hmm. and waltzing with the devil, which, you know, I used to do so I can recognize it. It just sits into nowhere place. You'll end up dead eventually. Mm -hmm. So I could not have delivered my message if I had not had every single instance that happened to me. Like my first book, for instance, my first nonfiction book, it's called In the Eye. And the eye meaning not the eye that we see with, but the me, myself, and I. And I'm teaching girls who are in prison how to empower themselves. And, and I always start off by saying, I'm just like you guys, except I didn't get caught and thrown into jail as early as you did. And their eyes pop out. And they say, what? You know, this really nice looking lady who looks like a, my grandmother, but more agile than any of their <laughs> grandmothers. They're, she's telling me that she was just like me. And then, you know, any questions they have, I would answer. But I didn't. It's not about me when I'm teaching them how to be calm, even when they're in prison. So I could not have done that if I had not had my own prison experience, if I had not become an addict like they all are, or, you know, somebody who stole or somebody who tried to, you know, commit armed robbery and all those things. I've done all those things, too. I'm not proud of it, but that's the way that my life went. So I really think that in, to, in order to help a world that's gone crazy, because to me, our world is pretty crazy. And whenever we meet a sane person like you, Gina, you're that beautiful aura behind you of peace and serenity. I mean, it just feels like home, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. When we meet another sane person, because there's so many people out there who, whose energies are all jarred up and scared and paranoid about where we're going, not realizing that every single thing we choose makes a difference especially with the environment for instance you know instead of being freaked out that oh the world is coming to an end no like like stop buying things recycle mm -hmm. take your compost to a little pile and grow some tomatoes I mean, there's a lot of things we can do besides yeah. being freaked out 
Yes, the fear. I feel like a lot of the people here are just fearful, everything. And then that fear turns into anger or sometimes even sadness. And mm. it's just that that vibration is just it it lingers. And I know I, I can tell because first off, I don't like going to malls at all. It's not my thing. Oh. <laughs> I do I'm not like it. Malls. No. <laughs> I, I do not like malls. I feel like gross inside. I don't like fluorescent lighting and my eyes turn red. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. just stores, uh. I, I find myself, I appreciate more of the nature. And so anytime I feel like I'm in that type of environment where there's like, like lower vibration, lower frequency, <laughs> I have to recharge. <laughs> Yeah. By going, luckily I live by mountains behind me, but then I also have the city right next to me here. Um, uh -huh. But I'm able to go out and hike and then just that's appreciate great. and breathe. And then that's how I recharge. I'll take off my socks and put my feet in the dirt though. And just that gives me a little bit yes. extra boost in my life. Yeah. And that's what I was doing in my sobriety. I noticed I really was connecting to nature. Now yes. you love nature as well. I am a nature freak. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you were talking about the Grand Canyon before. I've never personally been there, but I've been to Kauai and, and Kauai. It's, there's a place I've, oh my goodness, I can't even think of its name right now, but it looks like the Grand Canyon, but a little bit more colorful. <laughs> uh-huh and it uh -huh. I went there and I was I I my husband took me there last year and we went and uh I'm breathtaking I almost passed out because I couldn't breathe <laughs> yeah <laughs> now I knew where they, they took they got the term breathtaking right. it literally took yeah. my breath away uh -huh. beautiful I was like I felt <laughs> like I was in a whole different planet I'm like what is this <laughs> you know and so I just appreciate nature what are some of your favorite places besides Grand Canyon so I can go ahead and take notes so I can go oh, visit well we this time last year my husband and I were in Patagonia and we spent three months in in Bolivia and Uruguay and Chile and uh, you know I could go on and on about my favorite places but after being in Patagonia, oh, oh my goodness, it was just so amazing. The, the, there's so many places. I mean, really, you could say your own backyard. Yeah. If your mind is like focused on the nature part of it, like even if you just have a little patch with a few ants crawling around and you can feel the earth, it doesn't have to be a spectacular place, a Mecca that everybody goes to. But of course, we do have our favorite places. And I must say that when I went to Machu Picchu, I felt like, oh, I have, I have been here before. You know, we have connections. Our soul has connections. I have never been attracted to going to Africa for some reason. I have never been attracted to going to India, even though I'm a lifelong yogi. But I love the West Indies. And... And I'm very attracted to any place out west, like even strange places that look like the barren deserts. Like uh, we, the last spring, we went and I camped where the Apaches were held out. They were the last of the Native Americans who, who really resisted the colonial takeover by white men. And so Geronimo was the famous. Um, warrior of the Apaches and it, nobody could catch this dude and we were following in the footsteps of Geronimo in a really rough section of um, Arizona down by the Mexican border and he literally hid in holes in the ground kind of like rocky ground so the cavalry couldn't get him so so my husband and I are like you know we just love following 
um, spectacular people who have gone before us, like Lewis and Clark, who discovered the way to get to the West by going up the Mississippi and then discovering other rivers. And we've taken canoe trips with friends, not just by ourselves, following in the footsteps of Lewis and Carol. And, oh gosh, you know, like even Israel, I lived in Israel for a year. And what's happening now over there with the conflict, I totally get it in a different way than anybody who's reading the news might not get it because they haven't lived there and they haven't felt the, the, the millennial era of, of conflict going on between these two peoples that are really cousins, the Jews and the Arabs. I mean, it's going to take a while for them to heal it. And I pray that it will be healed, but I understand it because I lived in Israel and I did a lot of camping in the Sinai, the, the desert that is now uh, it was given back to Egypt. So I have many places that are favorite of mine. But I must say, if somebody said, what is your favorite place in the whole world? I would say Dominica, which is smack dab in the middle of the West Indies. It's, a, it's an independent island, but I lived there for three years. And it's just the wildest place. It has animals there, like, uh, like huge parrots, the, the world's largest parrot, and the world's most luminescent boa constrictor that, that nowhere else on earth are they found and many insects and different kinds of uh, you know creatures in the forest and it, it was a beautiful experience and i was involved in the agricultural um business there helping people like who were basically peasant farmers to get themselves coordinated into co-ops and helping to to sell their produce so it was a really wonderful experience being there well, that's beautiful <laughs> and that's going to be easy for me to remember dominica because my son's name the oldest son's name is dominic so <laughs> yeah yeah i have to visit well i have to go travel first and foremost because i haven't been traveling too many places lately um but i eventually i will i think i have enough time here on earth still to go to these different places that you mentioned and then just well, appreciate nature I think the journey inward, the spiritual journey, is more important than the journey outward. Oh, yeah. Because like during the pandemic, for instance, uh, my husband and I had started podcasting. Our podcast is called Z-Lord. And because we went on this six-month trip before the pandemic, nobody knew the pandemic was coming. Mm -hmm. We just happened to be thirsty for a real adventure. So we went all over Canada, the southern part of Canada, went over to the Badlands of North Dakota, came down into Utah and Washington State and ended up um, down at the Mexican border in Texas. So and then when we got home, the pandemic began. So we were already used to like cooking for ourselves and being alone. So the pandemic was not so challenging for us. But the biggest thing I I wanted to bring out about this was we had been adventuring on the outside every day or every other day we were in a different spot and that's all very well and good but when the pandemic began and we were all in isolation then I thought wow this is a great opportunity to focus our podcasts on the journey inward mm -hmm. and we started journey uh, speaking specifically our conversations were about these things that we discover when we go inward and how many people really take the trouble to have that inward journey. Mm -hmm. It takes time, it takes effort, and you have to say, 
to yourself, I'm going to explore my inner life, which is my spiritual life. Whether you do it through meditation or just taking a walk in the woods and being quiet or just looking outside your window, if you have a tree and becoming immersed with something else that comes from nature besides your own self. So, so the inner journey, I think, really is so important. And, mm-hmm. and that if, if somebody asked me if you, if you had a choice to go you know, all over the world on a cruise or to take some more time and, and go within and just really explore what, what adventures await for you there, I would choose the inner journey. Oh, absolutely. And I'm so happy you brought that up. And then that's why my show is called Shine Within, because it is that inward journey. And that's where I had to discover, you know, who am I, you know, the love that I have and just all these different things. Um, But I noticed 2020 did give everyone that pause to mm-hmm. start discovering what they what they like doing. You know, it doesn't have to be like that nine to five job. And, you know, they rush, they're in traffic, they go to work and then they're in traffic going back home. And then they're trying to rush and cook for dinner and cooking and then put the kids mm-hmm. down. And mm-hmm. Get, mm-hmm. But there's, there's not much of that. What about our gifts? What do we love doing? Like I see your mm-hmm. beautiful background there in the camera yeah. and uh, it's beautiful. You created that. <laughs> yes, that's one of my older paintings. I feel like I'm flying. A lot yeah. of my work, I, I feel like uh, it's flying. I, I, I had a lot of dreams. A lot of people dream about flying. I think that's our spirit within. If you, if, if you talk to people about their dreams, there are some commonalities we all have. Mm-hmm. And I think flying is a very common one. And, and so I paint it a lot too, because it feels like the spirit body. Mm-hmm. The spirit body is not grounded. It's not harassed by schedules and expectations or even labels and I always paint my my figures nude because I think that the skin is is beautiful and no matter what shape our body is and and when we put clothes on it it's almost like we're we're embarrassed about just letting our true nature shine through so all my work is with nudity and I love the human body. Of course, I don't just do humans. I, I also do plants and I do images of like right now I'm working on a series of indigenous, uh, ancient indigenous people, the people who are extinct, actually. Oh, that's, I mean, that's beautiful. I'm noticing also during my spiritual journey, I'm connecting with animals more like I I've always loved furry animals but i'm just taking like even bugs for example and i'm starting yeah. to appreciate them like the spiders i'm still kind of yeah. i don't know i'm still a little right, spooked out right. i'm gonna get i'm not there yet but like oh, yeah. even bees i you know don't they're... see arachnophobia that horrible that oh horrible i know movie. i saw that in the movie theater when i was young oh, oh john not john candy what's his name john goodman <laughs> oh okay yeah. so one of one of my books is about animals one of my books is called it's called hybrid vigor which is an interesting biological term where if you take the best of one species and, and take another of not necessarily species, but cousins and put them together, you create a new and better species, which is a hybrid vigor. And so that book, uh, which is number two after in the eye, it's funny, we're, we're talking about these things in sequence. It's, it's my own personal experiences. Like talk about bugs, like, to me, a moth is almost like a perfect allegory 
of what it's like to have a spiritual life. Because a moth, it just has to go to the light. Even if it's going to kill itself, if it gets electrocuted or, you know, zapped. I hate those those uh, bug oh, catchers yeah. where they zap them. And, and, but a moth will go uh, commit kamikaze into a, a flame, sometimes uh, like a candle. And a moth, is, it comes from just this inner desire to be with the light. Mm-hmm. And also the way that caterpillars shed and they metamorphose size into beautiful butterflies and i felt like that when i got sober it was like Mm -hmm. having a new life being reborn didn't you feel like that gina oh yeah died to myself yeah i was like okay well that's why you say past life yeah that is my past life it's my past life right yeah yeah and um so many things that animals can help us with and I love the fact that they have these new dogs that are assistant dogs. Like some of them are um, seizure alert dogs. They can actually tell when a a person is before they're going to have a seizure. So the person can get some help before they actually go into a seizure. And of course, the seeing eye dogs. I know in one of the episodes in my book, um, Hybrid Vigor, my life was saved by a totally strange dog. That just came to me when I was in the depths of a very bad trip. It was just in my head. It was probably drug induced, <laughs> no doubt. And I was just in hell. And all of a sudden, I felt this wet nose on my hand. And I look up, and there's this dog I'd never seen before just looking me right in the eyes, mm-hmm. saying, You're okay. This is just in your head. And that dog saved my life and that dog stayed with me until I was out of the emergency that I was feeling that I was being sucked into some horrible I don't know death Mm -hmm. and then when I opened my eyes the dog was gone and nobody in the house where I was staying had ever heard or seen this dog before it just came from an open door on a, on a beach. It was clo- the house was close to the beach. And that dog picked up on my vibrations that I needed help. Wow. <laughs> Animals are so incredible. Like I, I feel like I, so I love cats too. I love dogs and cats. I love all animals. And, yeah. and this cat comes to our backyard and it just, just kind of, cause we have a garden. We know we're starting to build a, a nice garden. And sometimes the little squirrels will come in and dig their nuts or just make a mess. <laughs> And the cat just gets, chews them out of our little <laughs> for us. And then, um, so I leave some water and some whatever for the cat out there and it comes around. And then sometimes he, he I want to say it's a he, I don't know if it's, maybe it's a she. Yeah. Uh, he and I have a connection where we'll just be like staring at each other, just like kind of talking <laughs> yeah. to our minds, you know, like, hey, it's okay. Thank you, by the yeah. way, you know, and he's yeah. just staring at me in the eye and it's just so adorable. I just it's, love the animals. They're so incredibly intelligent <laughs> as far as they just have that. They just know like when you something, you yes. up your vibration. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day, her mother recently died and she said, you know, I didn't cry, but when my dog died, I couldn't stop crying. And, and of course, and this person had a good relationship with her mother, but there's that unconditional love that we have with a pet especially and and they just communicate with us you know non-verbally and just totally accept who we are there's no judgment there's just blissful love and joy it's just a really beautiful thing when you have an animal 
and we we have a newly adopted feral cat and uh, where we live it's it's like the hunting dream for a cat because i i I do a, a really wild garden with bamboos. I, I create oh, like wow. a little wild jungle here. And so this cat was around for quite like almost six months. And I was kept trying to, to say, come on, you could be friendly. But no, it was like totally not trusting me. And and just like they say, first contact, you know, with, with another species. It was it took just a tiny touch, you know. I'm going to touch you and then freaked out and run away. But now this cat loves us and we love it. Mm. And, you know, it, it trusted us because why do we get damaged and don't trust everybody? Because something happened in our life where our trust got uh, tested and we, we learned that we had to be careful. Mm -hmm. And all children are taught, oh, don't go with strangers, especially in this day and age. But what does that teach us? It teaches us not to trust Mm. anybody mm -hmm. so it's it's one of those double-edged swords we, right. we we want to protect our children but yet we want them to be loving and trusting of of humanity that humanity comes from a good place so it's like this balance you know everything mm. is just you want to do a little this and a little that it's it's the middle way to do to do a happy life you have to be cautious but you also have to get rid of any unnecessary fears. Right. And you have a motto. Is a love is the weapon of mass illusion. Illumination. Right? Illumination. That's right. Love is the weapon of mass <laughs> illumination. And yes, let's talk about that. So how has that played in your sobriety journey? Well, the more sober you are, the clearer you can get about what is love. Like for myself, I was a love junkie. One of my addictions was sex, <laughs> relationships. Okay, I thought it was love. But when I got sober, I realized I was either going for a relationship because, oh, I thought the guy had a cool you know, apartment or a cool boat or a cool sense of adventure. Oh, he could teach me how to be an artist. Oh, he could teach me how to do diving. And it was always something, yes, that that drew me to that person, but it wasn't true, like reflection of seeing myself in that person. And I met my husband when I was seven years, we got married when I was seven years sober. And I, knew the moment when I heard his voice he, he like about a year and a half before we got married he he called me because a mutual friend said oh you 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 should reach out to this woman the moment I heard his voice it like it, it set off a vibration mm -hmm. inside my gut mm -hmm. you know and to me my gut is my my reasoning my my discernment, my choice meter, my gut. If my gut feels that's today, you know, after being sober for a while, but earlier in life, you know, my gut was just a gut. <laughs> and <laughs> I would have a tummy ache maybe, but <laughs> but now my gut is, is like a psychic tool. So when my husband came into my life, I just immediately went to my journal and I said, I think I met my man. And... And it was so bizarre how I recognized him. And I didn't know what he looked like. 
this was before the internet. And I had to tell him, send me a picture because I don't know what you look like, but I think I love you. And he, he thought I was nuts. He, he, but he's used to me now. I am a little nuts, but all <laughs> artists have to be nuts. We, we have to be a little, you know, to, to create new ideas and to get into that uh, juicy place where you're just a conduit for creativity. You have mm. to let yourself be a little nuts. It's fun to be a little nuts. Yeah, that's so that's a cute story. Yeah. And so were you satisfied with this picture? Like, oh, yeah, he's. a. (laughs) Oh, my God, he was such a hunk. I said, no wonder I'm in love. I mean, I couldn't believe how handsome he was. Plus, I had had a very clear psychic message when I got sober. I, I did one of those things where you, uh, you, I don't know if you did this when you got sober, but you, you get really clear about what you want from the universe. And I wrote a list of, this is what I want. I want a mate who's spiritual and sexy and smart. And, oh, we'll have two kids. We'll probably adopt them because I've never had a pregnancy. And then other things on my list uh, having to do with being my uh, desire to communicate with the world. So along comes my husband, whose name is Carter. And he was a single parent of two kids. And I said, oh, my God, you really have to be careful about what you ask the universe because you are going to get what you ask for. And so when he came in, I said, what? We don't have to adopt. You've already got two kids. And they desperately needed a a stepmom because their bio mom was very messed up on drugs. And but it made me pause and think like, okay, this is what I asked for. Now I have to really realize like, is that what I really want? <laughs> and that, and that's what we all have to choose. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of um, my story too. I remember when my uh, youngest son's father, the eight-year-old, um, he and I had broken up. We were trying to make it work because I did get pregnant during um, my recovery. It wasn't really recovery because I relapsed again, but it didn't work. And I thought I wasn't going to have a relationship within like 10 years, you know, in my head. And I remember Mm -hmm. always just thinking in my head, oh, you know, I would do these like prayer request cards and put them in a box. (laughs) And and, um, it'd say for me to have a family unit one day, you know, and this, but I was not ready. I didn't think I was ready anyway. Uh, I was sober at the time and I wasn't relapsing anymore. And then sure enough, so boom, this man falls. (laughs) I meet this guy and he has a child like a a year older than my youngest. And it just, we fell Mm -hmm. in love and I'm like, wait a minute, but I'm not ready, but I love him. I don't know what to do. I just went with it because it was a gift and it's what I've been asking for. But I was thinking in my head 10 years from now, but the universe had other plans for me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. We have to go with it. So getting back to that word love, you know, I love the word love because it's a verb and it's a noun. And to me, it's it's the divine. It's mm-hmm. the sacred. And and so when I say that I'm a spirit activist, I could say that I'm a love activist and I spread love however I can. But a lot of people think, oh, yeah, that sounds so corny. But the essence of love is is the mystery the mystery of the vibration that we only get when we're out of fear because fear is on one side of the spectrum. Love is on the other. Mm -hmm. And you can't, you can't mix the two really. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're, when you're experiencing love, you've, you've decided, okay, I'm going to not, I'm not going to give it fear 
any credit. But yet sometimes we forget and we go into fear. And that's when it's so impossible to think about like love. Like how can I love the world because it's crazy and there's all this killing and all this blah, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's where it comes down to choo- choosing. And so I'm the person who chooses to stay in that elevated state as much as I can, the state of love. And you can't get there until you've learned to love yourself. And as all addicts have to learn, that's why we're addicts or alcoholics, because we don't love ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the very first lesson that we have to learn is to respect ourselves, to love ourselves. And what what better way to, to prove it than to stop pouring toxic poison down your throat to stop abusing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the first step about self-love, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Having that choice and saying no, not anymore. I love I have I should love myself enough to not use and put poison and toxic chemicals in our in our bodies. Oh my God, yes. Like who would do that? Who would pour down like, you know, like antifreeze? Yeah, down, exactly. Down somebody's throat, which is really when you see what alcohol does to even plants. I mean, if you spray alcohol on a planet, it just it, it yeah. doesn't thrive. It's it's going to die. Oh yeah. Oh, that's torture to the poor plant. I know. I was thinking about that. Like, no, poor plant. Oh, definitely and, not. And I have lost quite a few friends through um overdoses and whatnot. Oh. And even working as a sponsor, I have had a lot of death. And I don't work with people anymore because I can't take it anymore. Like if somebody wants to kill themselves, God bless you, it's your choice. But this this addiction thing is so strong that, um, you know, my work has to do with other things besides helping people with their addictions. Mm -hmm. So there's people who devote themselves to that. And boy, they're they're amazing people. But I I did that for a while, you know, just free, you know, working the way we do. And when you get sober, we, we want to help as many people as we can who are still suffering. But today. I do prayer work when somebody is still suffering, whether it's with addiction or an actual disease like cancer or whatever. And I will just do a lot of heavy duty prayer work and, you know, send my energy. Mm -hmm. And then I fulfill my self-love by fulfilling my destiny of being an artist and a writer and a spirit activist because I do meditation videos and, you know, I do little talks I put up on my YouTube channel. And I feel that's my job. My job is to really turn people on to the beautiful magic of life through my books and my art. Wow, that is beautiful. And thank you for doing for doing that. You know, we need more people like you and just to bring that love vibration into this world. We need that right now, especially during these times. So I appreciate you coming onto my podcast today. I know you mentioned a YouTube channel. Uh, where can people find that or your books as well as, well as like other yeah. media? Well, the mothership, I call it my website, tezalord.com and it's T-E-Z-A. And whenever anybody calls me Tessa, I said, no, no, I'm not Tessa. <laughs> I'm Tezza, because I gave that name to myself. That really is my spirit name. Mm-hmm. And when I decided to rebirth myself from years of addiction, I gave myself that name. And so everything is there. My YouTube channel, of course, you have to just type in my name. And I use Tezza Lord everywhere, Instagram and 
X and Medium and Facebook and all that. Wonderful. Was there any last thoughts or any other message you would like to share with the audience today? Well, I, I just really like to encourage people to remember you have a choice and that being in a state of fear is no fun. And just, just to, just, just to try it, just to experiment, to be in the state of love. And you start that by loving yourself. So even if you go to the mirror, I do this a lot. I just look in my eyes and I just say, I love you. I love you. Because at one point I couldn't say that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. And that's that's the first step, to love yourself. And then everything in the world becomes a reflection of that self respect that self-love and it's not a being an egomaniac it's really the basis of being able to see god in everything god in every every speck of creation absolutely that was so beautiful well thank you so much taza you're welcome thank you so much too (laughs) my pleasure To my cherished listeners, from the very depths of my heart, thank you. Every single one of you who've showered me with those warm five-star reviews, your kindness shines so brightly. And if you haven't yet, know that your voice and support always matter. Your unwavering love has lifted us onto Feedspot's esteemed list of best women's sobriety podcasts, and it truly warms my heart. With immense love and care, I've created something for you as well. Introducing the Overcoming Challenges mini course, crafted especially with the intention to guide and support you through life's varied phases, because we all deserve gentle guidance as we navigate life's tides. Furthermore, I have two heartfelt gifts for our listener family. One is a seven-day challenge, a tender beginning for those curious about sobriety, and the other, a personal sharing from my journey, six-step blueprint to an alcohol-free life. This encapsulates the loving steps I took, I embraced beyond AA and the traditional 12 steps that have nurtured my own sobriety journey. To embrace these tokens of gratitude and love, simply text GIFT, that's G-I-F-T, to one 649 6196 Again, that's G-I-F-T at one 649 6196 With all my love and deepest gratitude, I cherish each and every one of you.